welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. All right, everybody, welcome back to another podcast, and uh, this is actually a continuation of the last podcast because um, I'm fortunate enough to be talking with with a great guy that uh, that we actually, me and my wife, started to really appreciate, um, Justin Babcock. He's over in Afghanistan right now serving for us, and uh, we just noticed during his downtime, well, at least when you weren't uh, reposting pictures with your family, you were always uh supporting everything that that we were doing with at least on the tv side and and also different things in archery so you know i i really wanted to to get someone on here that could could ask the true questions of the grassroots guy and uh you know justin thanks for, thanks for being back with me dude i appreciate it let's uh let's get into some more of the topics that more of the questions that you had for me because these are pretty pretty authentic all right, cool. Well, thanks for having me. No problem. Well, last time we talked strings, so I think we got that pretty clear. We also talked uh, kind of arrows and sorting through those. So what else you got written down on that on that piece of paper over there? I have uh, questions on different types of re- releases. I currently have one that uh, it's probably a couple years old, but it flips. It doesn't... I guess, stay where it should. I'm constantly adjusting this thing. And it's, you know, the ones that go around your wrist. Yep. And I see that, you know, all the pros and, and you know, most of the the bow hunters nowadays are using the, the handheld release. And as, for somebody that's new to it, what is, I guess, what what's the major benefit of having one of these? And where should someone start as far as, what to look for and and what type of release would they need yep well yeah and those are awesome questions and actually i remember sending you a facebook message letting you know that the podcast had started and just so you know i think in the first one i actually talk about um you know handheld releases versus wrist strap releases so I'm not going to totally go into all that again because I know that okay. uh, in an, another couple of weeks here you'll be home and you're going to be able to listen to that. Um, right? I, I think. Would you tell me that if you try to download the podcast over there, take, what does it take? Hours and hours with your internet yeah. connection from the base. Yeah, that right. That's too bad. Well, you know, I prefer a handheld release just simply because, and I. You know, one, I started using them as a target archer because of a couple things. One, you know, I think that me applying a little bit of pressure on my thumb gives me a lot less nervousness than when I'm utilizing my index finger. You know, it seems like just a person's index finger seems to be like the one thing that they use the most when they want to feel something. So there's an incredible amount of sensitivity in the tip of your index finger you know that 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 end of your finger mind connection they they are super in tune 
any variance, they communicate well together. So, you know, just like with, uh, you know, you guys with your military rifles, um, you know, you can really, if you're shooting all the time, you can really start to, to know exactly how much pressure on that finger before that, before that release is going to go off. So by changing to my thumb, you know, my thumb seems to be a little bit less sensitive, a little bit more gravelly, I guess. And, um, it allows me to get a little bit more meat on the trigger and then focus more on my pull, you know, with my back, or I focus on driving my elbow to something that's behind me. Um, but the other thing that I like about a handheld release is the fact that I can put it on my string and it's on there. Um, not to mention, you know, I don't have to worry about taking a wrist strap on and off. I don't have to worry about going around clothes, around a glove. Um, because sometimes, you know, you go around a big glove. Well, then you pull back. Your draw length feels different. You know, your your anchor right. position feels different. Um when it comes to releases, you get what you pay for, 100%. You know, there's ones, um, I shoot Carters, and, you know, they're over 100 bucks. Um, but there's also ones you can get at Walmart that are plastic that are a third of the price. But, you know, as a rule of thumb, that device is the first thing to determine the direction of your arrow. So, in my opinion... There's no reason to cut any corners when it comes to release aids. Um, I focus on machined aluminum ones, ones that have great tolerances, and obviously you want one that when, you know, you want to be able to take one out of the package and actually kind of put your finger on it and fire it. If that trigger has like a whole bunch of movement in it, it's going to, you're going to start to anticipate that. You know, you want to have... A Carter release is built the same as a gun trigger. It's built with a dual sear. So it fires off pressure and not movement. So, you know, I'm able to put my finger on the trigger. And then as I pull, once I've built enough pressure, it fires. It. I don't have to, you know, I don't feel the trigger moving at all because anytime I've ever felt trigger movement it's caused target panic pretty fast so right some of the cheaper release aids they have that movement and they also you know some have I would always avoid velcro that's kind of my rule as a hunter I don't like velcro on anything um you know obviously you don't want to be getting in your tree stand and having to do the velcro thing um (laughs) So I don't prefer the Velcro. If I do use a wrist strap, I want a buckle strap. And then, you know, like you said, look at the ones, you know, some of them, some of them are cheap for a reason. You know, the best thing Mm -hmm. to do is to ask your archery shop, what is a good release aid? You know, I've just really found that if I'm a new customer or when I had new customers in my store, um, you know, I told them a couple things. They would come in and they would want to buy an awesome bow. And then when I'd start talking accessories, they'd be like, well, I'm kind of low on money. So maybe just go with that one and let's go with this one. And they picked, they literally took, um, you know, a Porsche and like put, um, you know, like 
cheap little Barbie ride wheels on it, you know, plastic stuff. <laughs> and it's like, man, okay, here's the deal. Your bow is only as good as what you put on it. And that's the truth. Right. So I would actually, if the, if the people said, this is all I have to spend, period, then I would say, okay, well, you're either you need to save up and, and get some better stuff or let's find a bow that's in a little bit different price range to where you can have better accessories on it. And, you know, as a rule of thumb, stay away from plastic. Plastic sights, plastic rests, um, plastic releases. You know, I plastic changes and it cracks and it breaks. Very true. So, you know, I always look for stuff that's that's aluminum, you know, in the sight division, in the release division, and and in the aero rest division. And I've always, um, I've always had really really good success with stuff because of that. So, you know, I guess a hundred percent to answer your question, I prefer a handheld release um, just because of the feel I get. But when selecting it. You know, I select one. You get what you pay for. I select one that when I, when I hold it in my hand and I actually just slowly squeeze on the trigger, the trigger will fire from pressure and not from movement. Because any movement, period, on a release, um, is gonna. It's just a matter of time, but it's gonna start to cause you anticipation, and that's gonna lead to target panic down the road. Okay. So instead of the pressure with your index finger, you're actually using your thumb. Yep. With those. Okay. Yep. I move. I and keep you're just act, squeezing it. Yep. If you if you and like go if you go on like you could go to um to DudleyArchery.info. I don't know if you've ever been onto my personal website. That's kind of. I sure have. Okay. Yep. I mean, I st- <laughs> I, <laughs> I started that just so that people had uh, a place to to get my articles for free. Um, but yeah, so if, uh, you know, if you look at some of the photos in there, um, you'll notice that my thumb, when I'm engaged on the, on the trigger, my thumb is actually straight. It's not like curled way around the trigger. A lot of people like to curl their thumb way around. I actually keep my thumb perfectly straight and I move my entire thumb until it contacts the trigger. Then I keep my thumb in that straight position and increase the pressure by driving my elbow backwards. And I don't actually keep bending my thumb around the trigger because, once again, I think that that also leads to panic as well. So, But then on the flip side of that, if you are shooting a caliper style release, then what you want to do is you actually want to bend your finger completely around the trigger so that you're not able to feel that pressure with the very tip of your index finger. You kind of get it you know, inside of the bend of your finger, and then when once your finger's wrapped around it like that, you can almost relax your other fingers, your thumb and your middle finger and your ring finger and pinky. You can almost relax those a little bit, let the weight of the, the wrist strap kind of support that bow. And then with your finger bent around that trigger, you can do the same exact motion that I'm talking about of just continually pulling your elbow back until that release fires. Okay. 
So hopefully that'll answer. I'm expecting you to come back and then so you'll be back you'll be back from Afghanistan in like two weeks. So yes. I'm thinking you can have the rest of March and April to your family. So then by May I expect you to win Reading just off the information that I've that I've given you. You'll have to go to the Reading shoot and just win it. I think I think the knowledge will be that good for you. <laughs> no. That would be something else. <laughs> do you do much for target shooting? Do you I mean do you do you do it for practice or have you done it competitively at all? I actually I haven't done it competitively, but I actually have a 20-foot stand that I have behind my house platform and I've got eight deer set up out there and I do different angles different you know distances and you know shoot at them like that guy I always want to do everything to the fullest I mean I don't I mean I understand you know when you're standing on the ground you know you shoot targets but I haven't really been that involved with the whole target side I've always been just about bow hunting and I practice how I bow hunt so I well I mean, I've even got tree stands in my backyard that I climb up into and I'll have deer set up at different, you know, angles and distances and I just shoot at them that yep. way. Well, and that that's a pretty important point and one that I really try to drive home. And that's practicing how you play. Um, and this is important, you know, and like I said in, the, in past podcasts, um, if you're a target archer listening to this, even if we get into the hunting subjects and you're not, into hunting um still really think about what we're talking about and try to apply it in a way that it actually makes sense for you as a target archer because principles are still the same um and that goes the other way too if i'm talking target archery stuff and you're a bow hunter and you think well i'm not a target shooter but the information is all relative it it all it all coincides so you know whether i'm a hunter or a target archer, I've always practiced how I played. If I went to a world field championship, I can guarantee you, you know, I invested in having um, a full field target range that I practiced on and I trained on every day. And when I was a 3D archer, you know, I, I made the investment. Obviously, I was a professional and I'm there to win. And you have to make investments and my investment was buying 40 3d targets and i shot on a 40 target range every day and you know as a hunter for example when i took sharon hunting um i guess it wasn't well i've done it several times but the one time that i remember most is the first time i took her bear hunting you know she was really kind of you know, what's it going to be like? And, and I'm, you know, I'm not totally sure on the angle. And so, you know, what I did was I built a perfect scenario for her to practice in. You know, I put a tree stand up, I put my stand right above it, you know, over her shoulder. And, you know, I actually took like a McKenzie bear target and I put it like, you know, I put it on the ground slightly quartering away and, and I even put a, you know, I even put like a, a bait can, like, right in front of it and i'm like okay there there's (laughs) there's your picture right so you know you're able to 
but you train and and you're a military guy and I've got like I said I've got I've got friends in all arenas of the military and some some people work for specialized companies that only build they literally recreate um an operation facility for you know for you guys to train in you know they'll mm-hmm. they'll literally completely recreate an exact replica of a mission that might be coming up to where you're able to do run throughs and run throughs and run throughs to where once you actually go into that operation it's you know it's almost a subconscious it's you know it's it's driven into you and you know it's the same way um when it comes to practicing or preparing you know you want to to create all those senses to really understand a hundred percent and be able to operate on what you're trying to do without too much effort because obviously that's going to give you a lot more opportunity to focus on um, the execution and just making your shots and not so much the situation around you. Very true. When you started, did you start from family or did you start just out of curiosity for the sport or, you know, kind of what got you into it? Well, for me, it was my dad. I mean, he was a a bow hunter as long as I could remember. He, uh, he doesn't bow hunt anymore. He switched over to crossbow because it's a whole, you know, pulling it back and getting old thing. Yep. Yep. But he just, it was him shooting his bow. And, you know, of course, you know, son wants to be like their father. And it's just when he would come back with deer, I just thought it was just the coolest thing. And I'm like, I want to do that. And I've, I've been shooting a bow since I'll be 34 this month. And I've been shooting since I was 12. And it's just my son, he's six. I got him his first bow when he was four and he's been shooting for two years now. And it's just, we love it. I mean, I tried getting the wife into it and she's still kind of, doesn't really know but hopefully hopefully i can uh turn her around and and get her into it yeah well you know an important part and this is this is actually a good subject for us to talk about is is getting your family involved because i'll tell you what guys um or any of you listeners out there um archery and the bow hunting lifestyle is a heck of a lot easier when everybody supports it that's a hundred percent the truth and when it comes to getting kids or your wife involved in archery it's going to be critical that you treat them the same as you would treat yourself you know if if all you're going to do is try to hand down your wife one of your old bows and just make it work well it's probably not going to feel good. She's probably not going to be very accurate with it. And let's face it, I mean, if you're not good at something, you don't really keep doing it very long. I mean, that's the reality. You know, kids like the video games that they can win at. They like the video games that they continually get to just, you know, rack up people. You know, that's 
that's reality. <laughs> if if they buy a game and the computer keeps beating them all the time, I'll guarantee you that thing will have dust on it. You know, it's they're not going to use it. And archery is the exact same way. You need to to get your kids set up with the right equipment to where they're able to to develop that form as as their foundation. You know, it, I really wish for me, you know, you talk about your dad getting involved, you know, my dad my dad actually got me involved with archery too, but uh you know, I was kind of always getting the kind of the lower end side of things, you know, I I had a bow that he kind of got and it was way too freaking long and if I needed new arrows, it was the ones that he had left over from the year before and it's a wonder I even, I'm even still into it because, you know, I would go to these shoots with them and, you know, I, w- I w- wouldn't hit some of the targets. I'd miss them. And, you know, looking back, it's like, well, crap, if I'm shooting a 22-19 one time and then I'm shooting a 22-16 the next arrow, one's a four-inch vein and the next one's a five-inch feather. I mean, what the <laughs> heck, you know? <laughs> You know, he'd yeah. be like, he'd be like, well, come on, let's keep going, you know, and, uh, you know, you got to be able to, to build them into a setup to where they can continually hit the middle because if they're hitting the middle, they're going to like it and they're going to, obviously they're going to do, um, a lot better and they're way more likely to stay with it for longevity, you know archery and as as i guess a whole has put a lot more emphasis here in the recent years on women's uh equipment and i think that's awesome because i think the fact that a lady can go out she can get a bow that fits her right it's a color that she likes the handle's a little bit smaller it fits in her hand better you know i think all that stuff dramatically plays into how much or how long um, your spouse is actually going to stay involved. Same with your kids. You know, get them arrows that match. Don't just like leave the archery club at the end of the night and look at the lost and found bucket and grab an extra four or five for the kid. Because you know, and I say that because I've seen it. And then the kid mm-hmm. goes out and he can't hit nothing, and he's just like, you know, what's going on? And and then the other thing is. When you're starting out, get them their own target and keep it close. You know, a lot of times guys go out and then they've got their targets at 20, 30, and 40 yards and they want to shoot. And, you know, they kind of don't want to go up and shoot at 10 yards with, you know, with the kids very long. They're just like, okay, yeah, well, here, come back here and just do your best. It's like the best thing that you could do is get a big bullseye paper, you know, buy some targets that have a big bullseye, put them on the target to where most of the target is the bullseye and then keep the targets close. And that way your kid's just like, I got it in the gold. I got it in the gold. I got it in the gold. And they don't recognize the fact that they're only half the distance. If as long as you say, Hey, you know, I'm buying your own target. This is your own target. Let's put this right here. And, you know, I'm going to shoot at my target and you shoot at your target. Let's see how we do. You know, you start bringing that mentality and that approach into it. You're going to, 
you're going to really start to develop a lot more positive attitude and a lot more drive when it comes to practice, for sure. Yep, that's very true. Setting them up for success. Exactly. And I ran into that with, with my son, Colson. You know, I was shooting 20 yards, and he's got his little bow, and he's shooting, and, you know, he's barely getting it there. And, you know, he's starting to get frustrated and, you know, I had to sit him down and, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up actually going and buying him one of those, uh, I think it's drop dead Fred. Yeah. That zombie I, target. Love, I love that thing. I wish I, I don't, I don't have one, but to be honest with you, I want, if anyone out there has drop dead Fred's, I want like six of them. I'm going to shoot. That's going to be my practice this year is drop dead Fred's. <laughs> I mean, we just, we made games out of it, you know, because, oh, yeah, you shoot him in the mouth or, you know, shoot him, <laughs> just shoot him in the chest. And it was just, it, it just got fun again. And I could just see him, I mean, he already has the attention span of a gnat, so it's kind of. Yeah, well, and that's exactly what you do. That's, I mean, and that's perfect. That's great, great information. I actually like that, set him up for success. You might see an article with that title. I, I, I like it. I like that. Yeah, that's that's uh, inspiration for me for sure. And a lot of times, my articles that I write, they come right after I'm somewhere working with the team or working, you know, working with an individual uh, student that I've got. You know, I'll see something that they're struggling with, and I'll think, you know what, someone else out there's got the same problem. So I'm just going to talk about it the same as I talked you know, this person through it. So set them up for success. It sounds like a really good article for getting the family into it. Um, well, do you have, well, I mean, you, you struck a chord with me anyway, when you were talking about the different arrows and I mean, I, I got the hand-me-down bow and <laughs> I had the, the wooden arrows and the aluminum arrows with the four inch veins and feathers. And it was just, and I almost got to the point where I didn't even want to do it anymore because I sucked. Yep. And I did that for a couple of years and then just went up to the archery shop and, you know, the money I saved and realized, Hey, that's the, I, the first bow I ever bought was a Jennings Buckmaster. (laughs) Yeah. I remember that bow. And I mean, I thought that thing was just the coolest bow in the entire world. Well, it was but of at course, the time. It was way cool. I, you know, I never had the money, so I I worked and worked and worked, and finally had enough money and bought everything I needed. And like well, I said, I've been hooked ever since. Well, I'm going to make a confession right now, and I I need to lead this off by saying a hundred percent. Do not try this at home, and I'm in no way responsible responsible if for any reason anyone out there does this. But, hey, Dad, just so you know, um, you had the really cool bow in the house, and I know I couldn't pull it back because it was too heavy for me, so I'm just going to make a a confession here. While you were at work, I would go in the backyard with that thing and pull it back with my feet and just... I would I would pull that thing. I would put my feet in it and just hold the string and push my legs out. It was kind of like a Matt Stutzman technique, like the armless archer, oh, the wow. inspirational archer. Yeah, I would kind of put both my feet on the riser and just push it back, and I would just like 
sail these arrows you know throughout the sky and then spend most of the afternoon trying to find them but yeah i was like oh i want to shoot this bow so bad but you know all it would do is make my fingers bleed if i tried to pull it back so yeah that's my confession dad if uh if your old golden eagle didn't shoot worth the crap it was probably because i had dry fired it with my feet a couple times and 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 who knows what else shooting it with my legs but um, oh wow yep there's there's tons of dudley stories um oh i'm sure probably yeah you know here's what's crazy sometimes people say um you know what when was the first time you you won money shooting your bow i get asked that a lot and uh so I used to, once I got good, um, like when I was 17, 18, by then I was, you know, I was, I was pretty good most of the time, but, um, I would go to like the parties in high school and I would take my bow and I would put eggs, I would set eggs on, uh, on two liter Coke bottles and I would just bet people five bucks that I could shoot it off there and I won money all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah I would I mean normally I'd try to you know I would I'd try to rally it up people would be like you can't hit that I'd be like all right anyone else want in on it you know and I'll put five bucks on that so yeah my first money was actually shooting eggs off off uh coke bottles that was that was uh how I made my my first cash shooting 3d or shooting i guess it wasn't even it was 3d but it was an egg but then uh but my first check as a pro was actually my very first tournament um you know we talked about kind of in the past i've talked about having goals short-term goals and long-term goals and um one of my goals uh when i first turned pro i had a series of goals but one of the first one was just to be able to to make a check in the pro class, which means at the time I think it was the top twenty percent. And mm-hmm. uh, at my very first tournament, it was actually down in Abilene, Texas. It was uh, it was on the Cabela's Pro Tour, the NABH, and uh, yeah, my very first tournament. I actually got to shoot with with some of my some of the icons in archery, some of the people that that really were pioneers and kind of almost idols for me. Um, I got to shoot with some of those people. It was, it was pretty special for me to shoot with my peers and then be able to, to come out of there. I think I, I think I just missed the shoot off too at my first tournament. So I was, I was pretty excited about that. Um, I like that. What, uh, you got any other questions on there? Any other subjects? You've had some really good, um, You've had some really good topics so far. Uh, I had stabilizer questions, but I don't know if you've if you've won over anything. Yeah, else. that that was in the first podcast as well. But you know what? Okay. This this is one subject that I swear people can talk about this until their mouth falls off, and someone's going to raise their arm and say, "Well, what about this?" I mean, stabilizers are the one thing that there's like hardly any proven science behind because there's it's just so much about personal feel and 
and then you know every bow is different every archer's form is slightly different their actual strength is different so there's a lot of uh a lot of the um stabilizer stuff that's almost like a loaded question where i mean where do you go with it it's you know you'd have to ask so many questions to really say what's right you know personally when it comes to length i like one where like if i'm a target archer i want a length to where I can set it down on the floor and my bow is not putting any pressure on my arm in between arrows just for rest. Um, right. But as a, as a hunter, you know, I like to have, um, I like to have a stabilizer that, and, and typically I've shot several stabilizers that were offset because I like to offset the weight of my quiver. And actually I just worked with, um, Sherlock, Sherlock just came out with a brand new little, um, it's, it's like a wrist sling slash stabilizer attachment called the balance. And, um, if you can imagine when you screw your stabilizer, you know, you mount this on the front of your bow, just like you would, um, any other like stabilizer bracket and like wrist sling, it's got like a wrist sling, a braided wrist sling built into it. But then once Mm -hmm. you screw your stabilizer on the front, there's actually two screws that you loosen and then your stabilizer you can slide it to the right or to the left kind of like an arrow rest but with a lot more travel so what you can do is depending on how much weight is on your bow on one side or the other you can actually loosen that and slide your stabilizer to offset it um to where you know you can kind of keep your bow balanced better so it's a pretty it's a pretty cool little thing i've actually um i've been meaning to to do a little filming of it and and post it on the facebook and i probably will um but yeah that's i i always like from a hunting point of view well one i like to have a stabilizer that helps balance my bow a little bit better so i'm not fighting that but then also Mm -hmm. for from a length point of view I like a length to where when I, if I just set my bow on the ground, like say I'm shooting arrows or I'm hunting and I just want to set it on the ground, I'd like the length to be long enough to where when I set it on the ground and I kind of set my limb cups down, that the stabilizer's tall enough to where it holds my pins off the ground. If you can follow me, normally a 10 inch one right. is about perfect because my sight's normally about six, seven an inch inches out the front of my bow. But yeah, I don't like, if it's too short to where when I set my bow down, my pins are like burying in mud or in, you know, in the grass and stuff. I don't really like that. I like to be able to set my bow down and protect my pins just so I don't ever get any, you know, stuff in there. So that's kind of why I choose the length that I do. Um, and I think from a stabilizer point of view, any stabilizer that has um, like the rubber on the end with a weight on the end of that, I you know, it's a doinker more or less. It's doinker technology. Um, but several companies are utilizing that now. From a vibration and sound point of view, um, that's mm-hmm. really the stur- stabilizers that I prefer the most. I shoot a fuse stabilizer. Um, you know, it's, it's a kind of a flat carbon stabilizer for about the first eight inches. And then there's that one inch rubber piece. And then there's a, you know, a slight weight on the end, but it, it really helps dissipate that frequency 
and the residual vibration out the bow the way that I like it to. Okay. I've watched segments on it and it just, it seems like nobody really talks about the same thing. And I was just like, I wonder what the, the deal is with, yeah, well, you know, short ones, long ones. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I understand the benefits yep. of a stabilizer. I just don't understand like how we, how would you go about choosing which one you would need? Well, it's one, it's one of those things where you almost need to, to have a friend that's got one that he really likes and then try that one and then have another friend that's got a different one that he likes and find the one that works better for you. You know, I've shot everything from, um, when I first started shooting 3d, I actually shot, um, a 12 inch front rod and two 12 inch side rods. Um, like a, oh, wow. a perfect, like a perfect V bar with 12 inches out the front. That's what I, when I shot 3d, that was my very first setups. Then, um, Later on, I moved into a slightly longer stabilizer, I think more around the 18. Then I went to a 24. Um, then I went into a 35. I mean, it's I've done a lot. Now I'm, now I'm back to a, about a 30. Uh, I've got about a 30, mm-hmm. 30 and a half with just one single rod out the side. Um, most of my weight, I always keep closer to my hand. And I like it under my hand. You know, I don't like a lot of top weight on a bow. So, you know, that's just right. my my personal preference. But, uh, well, we've got time, I think, for one more topic before we got to wrap this up. So do you have anything else on there for us to talk about? Actually, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Believe Perfect. it or not. Perfect. Um, as, you, as you know, I am... Uh, I'm, slotted to come back home in April and uh, just so happened to turkey seasons right around the corner there, April 26th. Yep. And I've, I've shot longbirds with the old scatter gun a few different times in my life, but you know, I want to give, uh, give a crack at them with the old uh, stick and string. And I was wondering, is there any advice that you would give somebody first time bow hunting turkeys can you use the same setup as you would shooting whitetails as far as broadheads and well um for that there's a couple things and uh you know i think i shot my first turkey with my bow when i was 12 and actually it was pretty amazing because my uncle my uncle is a great hunter and my uncle and my grandfather were actually the the pinnacle people to get me into the to bow hunting and he told me that you could not kill a turkey with a bow and he was a very very avid bow hunter but he just said you can't kill a turkey with the bow because you can never pull back on one and so one day I was actually at hunting camp and I just you know he kind of said well if you want to go out you can go over that way you know I've heard some turkeys over there before so I went there and I was out hunting for, I don't even know if I knew how to call. I think he had showed me how to call on a slate or something or a box call. (laughs) So I called a few times and never heard a gobble. I called a few times. You know, I did that for maybe 20, 30 minutes. Well, then I just fell asleep, (laughs) fell asleep (laughs) on the ground. And when I woke up, 
I like looked and I could just see this fan like right behind this log, like maybe 15 yards in front of me. So I like picked my bow up and I drew back and the turkey came out from behind the tree and I shot it. And I mean, I remember he was in total disbelief of that. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that the he is right. Drawing back on a turkey is next to impossible. So if you're going to turkey hunt, a couple things. One, get a blind 100%. Makes life way easy. Plus, you can take the kids out. Um, two, I really try to focus on a expandable for turkeys as well as a larger cutting expandable. Um, and that's for a couple reasons. One, I like, I think... I think when it comes to turkeys, I think they, I think they, you kill them more so with impact than you do with really slicing. I think you can really stun one and it, you know, you really improve your chances of recovering it with your bow. So by shooting an expandable, obviously you increase, you know, you increase the amount of, of shock when that arrow hits, you know, because it's going to open. And then obviously the bigger the cut, the the more opportunity you have for to be able to hit the vitals um you know don't aim on a turkey the same spot as like what a mckenzie target has you know how the mckenzie it's kind of like more it's more in the breast what i always do is i go straight up the legs because if you think of when you clean out a chicken or something you know Mm -hmm. the insides are all like between the legs you know what i mean so the hips are kind of protecting the vitals so if you shoot them kind of right through the drumsticks or obviously the Texas heart shot's good, um, those are pretty devastating blows. So expandables, bigger cut, you know, definitely hunting out of a blind. And, uh, you know, I guess from there, you know, the next, I don't know, I think that's probably about it. I don't, I don't change a lot. You know, back in the day, I kind of had shot a little bit lighter weight because sometimes it's nice if the arrow doesn't pass through on a turkey it's harder for them to try to fly so you know in the past i've tried shooting lower poundages but honestly a big cut expandable is gonna probably sometimes they'll pass through but a lot of times because a bird is kind of like shooting a pillow it's like it absorbs a lot of the vibration or a lot of the energy really fast. You might not get a pass through. It'll surprise you. Um, I actually right now about, well, an hour before I called you, um, I finished our 10th episode for the season, and uh, it was actually a turkey episode. And I shot two turkeys, um, well, myself and my editor, Antoine, uh, we shot two turkeys in South Dakota. And, you know, we were both shooting 70-pound bows and shot these turkeys at, like, 10 yards, and neither one of us got a pass-through. But, you know, we had bigger cut expandables, and, you know, we shot right through the drummies. And, you know, those birds, they just they absorb a lot of the energy. You know, they're, they're light on their feet. There's not a lot to hold them down. So it kind of it's like, it's like shooting your bag target if you've just got it, like, sitting on a ledge. You know, it just kind of flips over and falls to the ground, and the arrow doesn't go in very far. Whereas if you have it backed into a wood pile, you know, you have a lot more impact on it. So, oh, okay, th- yeah. I think if you stick with that, man, you're going to be perfectly fine. But, uh, 
Hey, Justin, I can't thank you enough for uh, having a, you know, being able to, to do these two podcasts with us from Afghanistan. And uh, it's it's pretty awesome to, to meet you for the first time this way. Uh, I hope all the listeners out there can appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, we've got military all over the world supporting us, protecting us. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have thought of a, a better uh, first guy to, to really have on here that wasn't really a, a pro archer than you because, uh, like I said, you're you're doing you're doing things that most people would never do for the country and uh and i certainly do appreciate it man and thank you very much and make sure hey thank you make sure when you get that turkey i want you to uh to make sure you send it to me so i can put it on facebook for everyone to to like so i appreciate it awesome i will for sure all right buddy well thanks so much and uh thanks everyone for listening to another podcast for knock on Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com